Hey everybody, welcome to Dental Voice with Zyrus. My name is Rolando Mia, and guess what? We have one of our very, very first guests ever, Michelle Strange. Michelle joined us oh, a couple of years ago, and she's been with us a couple of times, and I love the discussions that we have with her because, you know, here's something about Michelle. There is nothing that she's not willing to speak about with intent. <laughs> without malice and she gets you thinking so michelle thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it so good to see you again oh thank you for having me and i appreciate such a sweet introduction <laughs> so hey so here's the deal what we're going to talk to michelle today has to do with disruption and how disruption can be the catalyst for change now the disruption specifically has to do with dentistry which is what we talk about here but more importantly this whole concept of i'm going to call it provider myopia or mm -hmm. and we can expand that and we can expand on that because it has to do with we or dental professionals make a decision or promise to do certain things and then sometimes it doesn't happen so michelle when we last saw each other, we got into a discussion about, uh, I think you termed it uh, dental, what was it you said, dental? Provider, was I saying provider-centered care? Yeah, that's it, provider-centered yeah. care. What does that mean? And what was that? What was the thing that we talked about about it? Well, I was talking about how I believe that our industry is very focused on what the provider wants the patient to do. And we don't often engage our patients. They just become passive participants in this process, which then doesn't lead to change in their oral health. And we often say that we are you know, prevention experts. And I just don't believe that that's true with our per current my model of that provider-centered care. So that, I think that was where we were going with that discussion. Right, right. But, but hold on a second. You know, uh, well, our, our clinicians basically say, I'm doing the best for my patient. I'm doing what they need. What's wrong with that? Well, I think what you're saying is like in treatment, they're doing what they need. And so once that patient has sat down in your chair and has accepted treatment, um, you know, we want to be so amazing with our hands and the tools that we have, understanding how we can perform the best care. But that is not what I'm talking about. It's provider-centered care and how we approach patients and help them make decisions based for that treatment or for preventive measures. Um, and I, I'd love to expand on it because I have definitely been guilty of a provider-centered mentality. Um, I, that's all I ever knew going through school. It, and it sounds kind of like, I know things. I'm the expert. You're here for my expertise. I'm the, the things I'm that the doctor. I, yeah. And like, when you think about it in any other, like if you are the patient, when does that work for you? Like you go into your healthcare provider and they're like, you need to lose some weight, just eat more fruit and vegetables. And you're like, cool. I live in a food desert or cool. I like whatever your lifestyle component is that prohibits you from doing that. Like it just is, that is the provider centered focus, like model of, Oh. I know things. I'm the expert here. I have a lot of education. You came here for that education. So you're going to do what I say, you know? I, In other words, what's happening is I have needs as a patient 
or I have means as a patient. And because I may not have those means either, well, then I can't treat you or you either do what I tell you or not, whether I need it or, or I, I, I'm, I'm open to it or not. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think one of the simplest examples that I can give of this um, being a uh, part of our script in dentistry is flossing. If you right. don't floss your teeth, you're they're going to fall out. If you don't floss your teeth, you're going to keep having decay. If you don't floss your teeth, X, Y, and Z happens. When we have so much evidence to show that there are multiple ways that we could um, make recommendations for interdental care. And we just say, if you don't floss your teeth, you're going to fall out. Floss the ones you want to keep, right? But we don't take into account some of these people's lifestyles, right? Like um, maybe they have dexterity issues. They have arthritis. Using something wrapped around their finger doesn't make sense. Um, it doesn't matter how many times I taught them. They just don't have the fine motor skills to develop that very technically demanding skill that is flossing. You know, we, we ask them to do these things, but we don't consider their lifestyle. Because one of the things that I've said for many years is that you have to understand the behavior of the disease that you're trying to treat, but you just as much need to know the behavior of the patient you're trying to treat. And that's when you get success. Oh, I love that. In other words, if, if I understand correctly, we are ignoring the circumstances of the patient because we believe that what we're telling them is the way it is. And we there's a mindset that you're suggesting to align that and take more into consideration that, you know what, if that is not something you can't do, then let's figure out another way or even treatment. Well, if you can't yeah. afford that, I can't treat you. Are you suggesting that maybe you only treat a portion of it and not finish? So this is an unpopular opinion that I have. Um, and I understand, I wanna throw out this as a preface that I understand that my philosophy on this is difficult to fit inside of our dentistry, the way our industry, the way that it is, because we have a lot of treatment codes, but we don't have diagnostic right. codes. So hmm. for me to say, and I, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but the example is that I, truly don't believe that if somebody is sitting in my chair that needs non-surgical care that I as a hygienist can actually provide to them and they say, I can't do this right now. And the philosophy of the practice of myself, of the front office, whatever it is, is that you don't reschedule them unless it is for that because they're disease active. They have periodontal disease. I agree that their treatment, that it should be for that, especially in our stage one, two, and three uh, disease levels of periodontal disease, that should be non-surgical care, but maybe they're not ready. And there is an array of reasons <laughs> for why they're not ready. It's financial, it's fear, it's ambivalence, it's just everyday life. Maybe they got some other medical issues they got to deal with before they can even deal with this. And so I don't agree that the next step should only be that, that they could not sit back in my chair for a quote unquote profi. And I say that in parentheses because I know 
it's not, it shouldn't be a prophy. I understand that, but we only have treatment codes. And if they haven't had periodontal surgery or, or I'm sorry, periodontal maintenance, or, I'm sorry, SRP, let me get it together, non-surgical, then I can't put them over here. And then maybe they might fall into the gingivitis code. It doesn't work. And I understand that, but I think that our industry has been built and is a little broken because we can't serve our patients where they're at. I truly believe that if a patient was meant to sit back into my chair, they said, no, I can't do this non-surgical care, that I couldn't coach them, move that breadcrumb them into acceptance. Bring them you know? there. Yes. And I think that that's the part that is missing. That once upon a time, I said, if you're not accepting scaling and root planing or non-surgical care, then you shouldn't be sitting in my chair for this other type of appointment. And now I do believe with my whole heart and soul that I am able with my communication styles that I have learned to understand where is their ambivalence? Where is their barrier to care? Is it fear? What is it that I can help get? Like, can I coach them? Because I no longer believe that they are non-compliant if they didn't show up for this non-surgical appointment. If they showed up at all, that is a level of a compliance that I can work with and I can move them into the proper treatment. So you're not suggesting that you don't treat them. What you're suggesting, if I hear you correctly, <clears throat> is that there are steps in between. But because of the way our industry or the way things are structured, you're either or and there's no there's nothing in between. And yeah. I think what, what what I got out of that is that there is an opportunity to bring. And, you know, it makes me think if I'm not ready for something and you're making you're you're saying you have to, I'm not going to come back. <laughs> and then no. that's worse for me. Right. And how think of all the times that pay, people feel shame and guilt and mm. blame um, you have a disease. If you don't do these things and you're going to continue to have disease, here are the negative outcomes that come along with you not choosing this. And I like those things aren't false. They, they're the truth, but it's how we communicate it with them and accept their like meeting them where they are because it's compliance if they show up. It's, I think what the problem is and where we get into neglect and this idea of supervised neglect is if I, the clinician, don't communicate these things with the patient, I'm not doing probing depths. I'm not taking bleeding points. I'm not doing um, maybe some diagnostic testing around so, like salivary testing. I'm not um, getting malampati scores and talking about sleep and airway. If I'm not doing all the things and having these tiny little discussions with patients based off of the, the, the nonverbal and verbal communication that they're giving me, um, I think that's neglect. I don't think saying, if you don't come back for this periodontal uh, non-surgical treatment, that's and I say, okay, you can come and see me for profi, that that's neglect. And I think that's where I push a lot of buttons in the profession. Hey, why, why, why do you believe this is pushing buttons? I'm curious. Um, because I do it all the time on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you actually, because as you describe and you explain it, it makes sense. It makes sense that um, any level of, of treatment helps bringing a patient closer to that, you know, I'm going to call the perfect state. 
by by not doing that. I mean, you know, you've also got things like cost. You know, if you can't yeah. afford it, then I can't do that for you. I, that's that's another area that that precludes potential treatment, and that can get kind yeah. of crazy. I mean, when you think about it, how many people can throw out two thousand dollars out of pocket? They're more likely to throw out, let's say, uh, in my area, I think a uh, profi might be going for one hundred twenty-five dollars. That's more likely to happen than two thousand dollars. People are living to pay paycheck to paycheck, like. I think we're all very aware of the situation that we are in in this country, and it's not so easy to have a disposable income or take care of yourself because of that. And I mean, I know I push these buttons when I say these things to people because I've been told multiple times that I <laughs> they, they feel bad for my patients, that I am just neglecting patients all the time. What? I mean, and like, you can't hurt me. I know I am always taking into account my patients and I want to, with my whole heart, do what's right for them. Yeah, and that and means I have to change how I approach them because what we have done and what I have done for 20 something years in dentistry has not worked. We have so much disease and we have such, in some cases, very little case acceptance and accountability for disease. How did how did you come to this? How did you come to this epiphany that oh my goodness, the way I've been educated, the the programs that I've been through have gotten me into this. What was it? What was the catalyst that made you say, wait a minute, mm -hmm. I am performing patient or or uh, provider provider center care? Uh, yeah, yeah. I become yeah. myopic with regard to what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I don't. I think it's probably probably been a slow evolution to get to this place. I think. Um, I started off in periodontal practices. That's where I spent 12 years of my career at the very beginning. And I was always frustrated there. Um, I really enjoyed more of a public health side of things, but I didn't realize I liked the public health side of things. It's tough. And I, but what's so funny is that the way that I'm saying right now, like I'm going to do what you are able to do is the same exact conversations that I have in public health day in and day out, but I'm told in a private practice setting that I'm neglecting patients, hmm. you know? And so I feel like we try to meet patients where they're at in the public health sector on a, most of the time, not always, but I do. But when I'm trying to do this in private practice, it's like, it's substandard care. Oh. So I'm not really sure. I'm not, didn't fully answer your question, but I, I don't know really. I think I've just been a slowly reading research, challenging my the foundation of what I've learned as a hygienist, um, felt the cognitive dissonance and had to work through it and feel the uncomfortable ickiness that comes along with it. Um, and then once I moved past that, I just kind of kept busting those walls that were I felt were confining me in that provider-centered uh, care model. No, and, and the the premise behind it and kind of the approach, you know, is is important because it's these kinds of things. You felt it happening somewhere. You couldn't quite put a finger on it, and it's expressed itself. I think this is important. There are probably other people out there who are potentially in the same place or feeling something, and they can't quite express it the way you do. How would you? What what would you tell them, or how would you you know share with them, kind of centering around that so that they understand that what would what would you suggest for them to do 
one of there's a book out there. Gosh, let me see if I can get the title right. But it was like uh, behavior change in the healthcare setting. Um, but it's around uh, motivational interviewing. And there's three books that I own, textbooks that are around motivational interviewing. And that really, when I started to understand what that was, which is a way to help elicit change behavior by asking engaging questions and having empathy, you know, rolling with resistance with your patients. So instead of them being like, um, all of this is hard, I'm not going to be able to do it. It's never going to work. And like, just being like, I understand that it has not worked for you in the past. And I, I think we can all feel that in our souls with some things, you know, like not challenge meeting them where the challenge is, which I grew up in a household where the love language was conflict. Like if you, you showed love by arguing. So I have to really work on this on a day in and day out basis. But I think if people are, they feel they're not doing something right, or they're becoming disheartened because every time they come back, their patients aren't improving, things aren't changing, or they know in their heart that somebody should be on the schedule just because they can't book that $2,000 procedure that they could come in and I could maybe walk them through and get them closer to that acceptance, then motivational interviewing, I think is a great thing to learn. And I think you could start that with just asking open-ended questions with your patients. Something as simple as instead of like, are you flossing or um, what are you yeah. flossing Did with? You do this? Or what are you cleaning between your teeth with? I always ask like, um, so the options that I showed you last time, what were what was your favorite way to clean between your teeth? What is your preferred way of cleaning between your teeth these days? What's your preferred toothbrush these days? On a scale of one to 10, where would you rate your home care? Like what you're doing on a day in and day out basis. If it's a seven, why isn't it a 10? If it's a four, what could be a seven? You know, like asking these questions because you're going to get a whole new conversation from your patients and you're going to engage them where you can actually start have. Well, OK, I should. There's a great quote that I heard and I wish I remembered who it came from. And it said there are two experts in your operatory. It's you and all of the knowledge that you have. And it's the patient because they know their life. They know what they can do. They can know they know what there's not going to fit in their lifestyle. And so this opens up a conversation for me to better understand what they are willing to do. What's their what what's is there any change talk uh, in them that I could kind of grab onto and start pulling out? But I think that's a great start. Oh, I love that. And it, it's interesting that start starts with you recognizing you can do that. It starts mm -hmm. with you having kind of getting the confidence to say, wait a minute, it's not about telling. It's about opening up and engaging in a in a true two way, not two one ways. And and it's also like you said earlier on, you got to treat the your patient like a person, not as a yeah. not as a treatment, which is which is phenomenal, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I don't see, I don't, I I can see how it can be a little, you know, because people, yeah, it, people become defensive around things that they think they're doing well. And it takes a little bit for people to understand. For for people out there, if, if you were to give them advice for, for uh, overcoming this, in addition to reading that, where would you have them start? What's something they can do right now after they've mm -hmm. seen this to say, okay, hold on. 
I, I want to do something about it. What's something that's small enough to do it, but big enough to get them going? I think just starting with those open-ended questions and also always ask permission. Their uh, patients. I think that's huge. Um, Miranda Beeson, she's a hygienist. She once said in a presentation, I've used this ever since, that patients are not your information receptacle. They are not your dumpster for all the things that you know about all the things you're great at, right? And so we want to ask permission. So for instance, I was at a CE course this week. I was speaking there. I took CE course. When I lay my patient back tomorrow um, and I see something that could affect them, change them, help them, I'm going to say, hey, I was just had a really great CE course, continuing education course. I, I, I learned some things that I think could apply to your situation. Would you be open to hearing those today? And that's yeah. it. Ask them, ask them if my other favorite thing that the office I'm at adopted was, um, if I have any suggestions today for changes or new products, are you open to hearing those? Like so simple. Yeah, so, it was so simple, but it can be profound too. Because yeah. now you're give, they, now they're actually accepting, as opposed to feeling like, oh, "Here we go, I'm going to get yelled at because I'm not doing." Yeah, I'd like just to lay it. back and take it. Yeah, <laughs> like because yeah. we got we got things in their mouth, they can't respond, they can't tell us like I'm not interested. They block us out, and if we ask them and they say yes. They are now active participants in this conversation versus me going like, so last time we talked about this and this and this, and like now I learned this and this and this. So I think we're going to change over to this. How does that feel? Okay, great. You know, it just, I like it. Now it feel good. Well, by asking permission, you're, you're basically, you're effectively giving your patient permission to be an active participant. I love the premise behind that. And when they exactly. become an active participant, there's there's a lot more incentive and, and value to them than just simply taking it. You know, sit down, strap in, here we go. This is gonna happen to you, and you have no choice. And yeah, that that that's a that's a huge thing. Let me ask you this. Um you have you, you you've been doing this for so long. What's one thing that you would caution people absolutely not to do? Mm. Don't do this. What's the what's one thing if, if I were to ask you this to say, you know, this is an important context, one thing you would ask them not to do, what would that be? Um don't center yourself. Don't center yourself. Like, don't I I, I think um yeah, we should build relationships and we can have like little conversations and the operatory with the people, but like don't make it about you. In every way, like don't make it about you it, with the things that you want them to use that you recommend X, Y, and Z for home care. And that's all the patient should do. Um, I only recommend uh, this particular toothpaste at the store. I like to talk about my grandkids when this person comes in. Like don't center every aspect of the appointment. Don't center yourself. You're you're also a participant, so I understand. Like you can have your favorites, you can have a specific yeah. flow of your work, your your appointment, but it is not about you and what you want them to do, what you want them to use, how you want your stuff to go, how you want them to accept treatment. Let don't center yourself. I love it. That is fantastic. Holy cow! You know, Michelle, I I 
I could spend the rest a lot longer digging into other things, but really appreciate you taking the time. If people wanted to reach out to you, if people wanted to engage and ask you questions, would it be okay if they did? I would love that. Best way to do would be what? Um, if you're a social media person, uh, you can find me on Instagram at the roaming dental hygienist because I am a roaming uh, person. I don't have a permanent address, so I roam the country. Or you can, if you're into infection control and patient safety, I have a company called Level Up Infection Prevention that you can also find on Instagram. And then you can also find my website, um, michellestrangerdh.com or Level Up ip.com i love it and you know i could i would love to dig into your experiences with roaming your level whole context on level up you and i've spent quite a bit of time talking about infection control and how important that is and you've always been an incredible champion for that and i love that but really appreciate you taking the time and kind of Thank leaning you. into this i you know we have to think about and it's it's when we come to the realization that wait a minute there are different ways of doing things it's not just about what i want to do that's when we open ourselves up to things and grow so thank you so much for sharing that thank you for joining really appreciate uh, the courage you have for expressing your views and and not being shy about them but also not doing it in a malicious way which is which is something i i personally very much appreciate so thank you for that thank you i appreciate you having me on inviting me back again and letting me voice my sometimes unpopular opinions but ones that are valid oh absolutely so hey folks <laughs> please if you have questions or, or you, you want to further uh, discuss this with Michelle, feel free to reach out. The reason we do this is to give people an opportunity to express their perspectives, their sentiments, and things that they're dealing with, which is what we all deal with. So if you really like this content, please share it. If you like the information and, <clears throat> and uh, appreciate it, don't forget to hit the follow button, check us out. And then also, please reach out to Michelle, check out her other sites. I think there's a lot that she's been doing it. Her journey has been quite incredible and we could spend another whole episode talking about that. Until then, we look forward to hearing, uh, seeing you again. Michelle, thank you for joining us and uh, everybody, we look forward to our next episode. Thanks for joining. Thank you.